Welcome to the Modern Woodworkers Association, a podcast about woodworking from folk who woodwork. Woodworking is what we do, who we are, and what we like to talk about. So join us as we have a drink, sit around, and talk woodworking. Hello, and welcome to episode 137. It's going to be a quick episode. We're going to run through the five questions with Chris McCaskill of McCaskill Handle Design Builds and Cardinal Fine Cabinetry, both in London, Ontario. I really want to thank you, Chris, for taking me around the International Contemporary Furniture Fair in New York a few weeks ago. Had a great time talking with you and going over over all the furniture. I hope everyone enjoys the five questions. Hello, everyone. I'm here at the ICFF. Chris, what does this stand for? International Contemporary Furniture Fair. Okay, the International Contemporary Furniture Fair at the Java Center, and I'm here to chat with Chris McCaskill of McCaskill Fine Furnishings. It's actually McCaskill Heindel, Design Build. McCa- okay, that's the new name. And we're okay. now a division of Cardinal Fine Cabinetry in okay. London, Ontario. Well, excellent, excellent. I've enjoyed walking the show with you, and now uh, we're going to run you through the five questions. Fantastic, look forward to it. Okay, Chris, how did you get into woodworking? I always wanted to be a woodworker. And went through a period of time where that kind of study was not supported. Uh, Consequently, I ended up going to university uh, at my parents' wishes, uh, but managed to pay much of my way through university working as a carpenter um, and continued working as a hobbyist woodworker throughout that period as well. And the moment I was free of my university obligations, I went immediately to work for a pipe organ builder in Toronto. That's... uh that's quite the woodworking. Oh, phenomenal seems... experience. Phenomenal experience. Well, excellent. Um, what did you go to school for, if not oh, woodworking? Oh, gosh. I ended up doing a degree in art history and physical geography at the University okay. of Toronto. Um, in woodworking, what's your favorite tool? I've got to say the number five gouge, probably my 40 millimeter number five gouge. I... Um, was fortunate enough to spend two years of my apprenticeship in a wood carving studio, mm-hmm. and there's something about the raw physicality of roughing out a three-dimensional okay. object with that gouge. That's great. Um, again, in your woodworking, most of these will retain your woodworking. This is a woodworking podcast. Mm-hmm. Um, who has influenced you the most in your work? At this point, that, that's changed over the years, um, but from, from my current perspective, I'm going to have to say Gabriel Ney who, when I, I, I only spent a couple of years working in his shop, um, well-known pipe organ builder, okay. uh, who he, he's retired, now long retired. But um, when I was in his shop, uh, the shop was populated by mostly, mostly European fellows who had trained as pipe organ builders um, in their native countries. Gabriel had already been at it for about 45 years as a second wow. generation, as a second generation, um, pipe organ builder. And so he really knew his stuff. What impressed me though was that even though everybody in that organization really, really knew what they were doing, because of the nature of pipe organ building, we were building tracker action pipe organs, which means that the, the key that you press to make a sound is actually mechanically fastened to the valve, okay. which could be 20 feet away, 30 feet away. And Would that vary from installation to installation based on where the, the controls location? were to the valves? Or it was one big unit, so it was consistent at least? Uh, no, it would vary from, it would vary from, uh, from installation to installation. Uh, but you're not thinking so much in terms of installations as the instrument. Um, so a, a very small, uh, say, studio-sized pipe organ could be... Tra- it looks almost like a... Like a 
looks almost like a piano, I guess, mm-hmm. um, and, and can be treated very similarly, although it does need to be broken down at, to transport. Um, but the really large, even the really large architectural uh, pipe organs uh, can still act as tracker action pipe organs versus an electro-pneumatic where the valve is either open or closed, mm-hmm. depending on whether the circuit is open or closed. Right. Um, uh, in, in any case, these things were designed to last, um, profoundly complex in their engineering and execution, and things always went wrong. And so here's a group of people who are really experienced, really uh, masters of their, of their craft. What I learned there, that, and this is what I hang on to now, um, is that one must maintain a, uh, an open and kind of flexible mind in order to be able to accommodate the, the unexpected. Uh, mm-hmm. So we work with wood. Um, wood is not at all like steel. There can be, there can be real um, inaccuracies in wood or uh, um, uh, inconsistencies in mm-hmm. the grain of wood. Uh, you just never really know what you're working with until you get into it. Right. And... Um, so keeping that open mind uh, really allows a, a greater fulfillment um, for, for a person, I, I believe, um, as they're executing a design. Great. That, that sounds like an unbelievably intricate way to learn. Um, to, to jump to that high level has to prepare you for a lot of boxes that you'll build later on making furniture. Sure. <laughs> and in the end, in the end yeah. all we're ever really doing is building boxes. Exactly. <laughs> um, in your woodworking, what was your biggest stumbling block, and how did you overcome it? Mm. In my woodworking, I'm gonna <laughs> I'm gonna refer back to uh, that that flexible mind. It took me a very long time to develop the kind of patience that's required in order to be able to work my way through whatever challenges is, is, is presented. Um, and so um, for a very long time, I really enjoyed just the, again, the raw physicality of running stuff through the table saw, banging things together. Um, but that's given away, probably with age and maturity, um, to a desire to make things really well, which is an entirely different way of approaching the craft. <laughs> Excellent. Um, the last real question, then I'm going to have a bonus question for you, but the last real question is, how has the internet influenced your woodworking? Enormously. I didn't expect this. I didn't expect technology to influence my woodworking. Um, a few years ago, um, somebody came in and interviewed me uh, around a documentary that they were doing looking at uh, technology, the internet, and woodworking, and I just I, I wasn't in the right headspace. I didn't feel that either had any place on the shop floor. Um, and wow, has my opinion of that ever turned around um through social media and the internet i've managed to make connections with other like-minded people with mm-hmm. similar experience and similar background uh and and really develop some very enriching uh relationships as right. a result uh so i've met some really interesting people um uh yourself included oh, and you. then going looking at technology um there are two things, uh, and we've we recently acquired a CNC machine. In our current in our current situation, uh, I've got access to three CNC machines. Um, I always had dismissed them as being um, a bit of a well, uh, simply put, just not a good thing on on for for, for a woodworker mm-hmm. to to uh, to embrace. Uh, and what I've subsequently discovered is that 
there's an interesting relationship that can be um, uh, explored between high tech and handwork. And so there's um, rather than allowing the technology to limit what your product looks like, rather than allowing your um, the capacity you've got, maybe if you're doing things by hand, to limit, you bring these two things together, and there's this um, exponential growth in right. both in capacity, but also in um, possibilities for design. Right. It doesn't have to be limiting. It can be ed- additive and just open up more possibilities. And it comes it comes right back to the whole notion of keeping that flexible mind. Uh, right. 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 One more question is: many of our listeners are hobbyists. Mm. Now, you do this for a living. Yes. Often, what you do for a living can no longer be your hobby. How do you stay, you're clearly passionate about it. How do you stay passionate about it while also putting food on the table with it? Sure. That's a great question. And uh, I've got a number of different ways that I could approach that. Let's do it two ways. One, uh, when one's involved in a, in a marriage, I, my wife and I have been married for a very long time, um, and a, um, a simple rule of thumb is to never go to bed angry, uh, mm-hmm. dog constantly reaffirm your, your, your love to one another. Um, the same is true in woodworking. Not every job is a pleasure to do. Some, some frankly, lose money. Yeah. Uh, some are just... Um, uh, some, work is, some work is drudgery. Uh, yeah. You accept that. You find the zen in it, I guess. Um, f- remind yourself that you love woodworking, okay. and that's what brought you there in the first <laughs> place. And... That's helped me to remember that I actually love making things. So even even when you when I find myself making really simple things, I can still find the joy in repetitive items, just as much joy as there might be in making a, a really exquisite one of a kind piece. Well, that's excellent. That's excellent. I think it's an important skill for anyone who does it because it's it's no longer a joy if it's just your job and it becomes uh, drudgery. And the, the psychological part of it, the psychological piece, I, th- I think is just as important yeah. uh, to me now anyway. Um, uh, I can only speak to my own experience, uh, but it's, it's as important as the hand skill. All right. Well, thank you very much, Chris, for going through the questions with us, and uh, I appreciate you taking me around the show. It's been a pleasure. Thank you.